Welcome to the Quantum Alignment Q&A, Humboldt series, where we traverse through an array of healing modalities to educate, empower, and excite our listeners on their path of holistic health and wellness. In sharing various practitioners' experiences and insight, we hope to cultivate a deeper relationship between one's true self, the mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional bodies. Join naturopath, transpersonal psychologist, and cannabis therapy consultant, Dr. Pepper Hernandez, in the Humboldt Quantum Alignment Series. And now, here is your host, Dr. Pepper Hernandez. Welcome, and thank you so much for taking time to be present with us today. Our intention for this podcast is for each and every one of us to get one step closer to the highest version of our aligned self each and every day, mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. Today, we have Dr. Mary Wynn. She is a primary care Western trained physician. She is a private practice specializing in trauma mental health. Hello there, Dr. Wen. Thank you so much for taking time from your busy schedule to be with us today. Thank you, Dr. Hernandez. It's uh, my pleasure. Wow. I have so much respect for what you're doing and the direction that you're taking Western medicine within your own private practice. And you know, with what you can share with us today, I have quite a bit of questions. So let's start off with just allowing the listening audience to know a little bit about how you came to be a private practice physician in trauma and mental health. Sure. So my journey actually started whenever COVID hit. Um, COVID happened and I started to see an uptick of mental illness in my patients, in my colleagues. Um, My clinic schedule filled up and it was all anxiety, depression, PTSD. People who were regularly functioning were cracking under the pressures of COVID and my colleagues as well, they were working so much and it was dealing with a disease that we had no idea of how to treat. So we were doing our best in terms of new medications, oxygen support. But what I found out was, you know, people were going to die. Um, And there was not much that we could do about it because we had very limited exposure and knowledge of this disease. And we were just experimenting before we have what we have, the medication we have now, which is, you know, we put them on steroids and remdesmivir and oxygen support. And I started just, you know, it witnessed suffering on such a massive scale. And I thought, you know, I can't do anything for these people physically. So what can I do for them mentally? And all of my patients, you know, we were talking and I was doing everything that the book and Western medicine told me of like, you know, screen them for depression and anxiety, prescribe antidepressants if they meet these criteria. And I had, and I was, you know, I thought I knew what I was doing. And I said, you know, I prescribed all of these antidepressants and I said, you know, come come back if uh, you're feeling 
worse or it's not working for you. And I would say, you know, 60 to 70% of my patients came back after being giving it their best shot and trying these antidepressants and saying, this is not working for me. And the number one thing, my philosophy is I always listen to my patients. If they're telling me something is not working, I'm not one to say, well, you know, there's something like, let's try something else and let's try something else. We tried a bunch of things and it wasn't working. And so I started to think, man, I need to find a way to help heal these people. And that's whenever I started to deep dive into the literature in uh, psychiatry. And to my surprise, realized that we really do not know how selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors actually work. Um, the mechanism, mechanism of action is unknown. We essentially think, oh, you know, we know that the, some people's brains respond to serotonin. So let's just dunk their brain in it. And to me, I always, when I read that, I was just dumbfounded. I was like, this is bad medicine to have it be a shotgun effect. And so I started to research more into new emerging technologies, research. And that's whenever I came, I stumbled across research coming out of Hopkins, um, very powerful research in terms of using psilocybin, which is the active ingredient in magic mushrooms to help people get through PTSD, uh, medication resistant depression, anxiety. And the research was so great. I did the statistical analysis. It was uh, like irrefutable, like there was no arguing against it. And so I started to research more and doing my own experimentation. Um, if I wanna, like, it's kind of a funny story because I started to read on mycology how to identify these mushrooms. And so I went into my own community and started to collect mushrooms that I thought had psilocybin content in it, did the spore prints, bought the identification books. And whenever I found a species that uh, I thought was psychoactive, I said, all right, I'm not gonna give anything to my patients or even recommend anything until I know it has value and it works. So um, I identified these mushrooms, and made, you know, made sure I was 100% accurate. So that way I wasn't going to poison myself or my friends. Um, so I invited my friends uh, to basically go camping. And we got a bag of magic mushrooms. Uh, one was a nurse, another was a social worker. So we are all really feeling the effects of COVID and watching, um, you know, everyone died. They were working in the emergency room. So it was high stress. Um, and so we did a, we did a session, uh, we each did, I believe three to four grams, each of us. And I had the most profound experience of my entire life. Um, my friends, uh, it, was the it was their first time and there was so much that poured out of them from childhood trauma to repetitive workplace trauma. And for some reason, even though I was on something that was psychoactive, my training just kicked in in terms of mental health counseling. And I started to coach them and talking, talk them through all of the really deep, painful memories that they were experiencing and helping them process and reintegrate and helping them understand that 
a lot of the choices and decisions and behaviors that they were making and unhappy with their life was essentially a trauma response. And it was after the session was over, my friends, they felt such a huge relief. Um, and slowly, obviously in friend circles, something you find something amazing and then you go tell all of your other friends. So I was working at a hospital system at this time and they started to tell, talk to other people, trusted people that they knew of like, hey, you know, I know this doctor that does this underground. And I started to collect clients that way. And I would tell them like, there's no guarantees, but this is my training. This is the results here, some testimonials. And I started just to work at first, it was for free um, because I just wanted to help the people in my community help heal. And slowly from there, I was able to, to grow into having a pretty good um, base, uh, client base. And it was, a, it, was, it was an amazing story. I mean, through healing them and my own journey, I've, I was able to heal myself. Um, I was able to get off of antidepressants. I felt more um, aligned with who I was. I didn't feel so fragmented and, and wounded. And it really empowered me to understand that I have all of the power inside of me to heal myself. And once a wounded healer heals themselves, then they can be a healer to others and kind of have an excess of healing energy to impart on other people who are suffering. So that's a little bit about my journey and uh, the inspiration of how it led me to where I am now. Um, and I, I started to really question everything about Western medicine. Um, before I would say I was probably the perfect employee, uh, you know, it was prescribing medications, seeing patients, not really deep delving into the root cause of why people were depressed, why they were anxious. And it opened up my eyes that maybe Western medicine doesn't have all of the answers and that there is something you know, there's some, there's a wisdom in getting back to the roots of medicine. And so I started to do much more research. And I said, I don't want to be a pawn anymore for the insurance companies to put a million diagnoses on you and raise your premium. And I really wanted to break free and serve my patients instead of serving insurance companies, hospital administration, any of the third party people that were basically situated themselves between me and my patients. I didn't want that. So I walked away from it. I said, you know, this is not in line with my values as a physician. Um, it's not in line with who I am. And it's truly not what I believe anymore after looking into the research. So that's how I was able to walk away from, um, you know, a, a stable, cushy, job as a physician, as an employed physician, and really get back to why I went into medicine in the first place. And that is to heal people. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. What an interesting 
journey and so very rare to hear someone go through that journey and speak upon it. So I thank you for your courage and your strength to really stand up for not only yourself and your friends, but also patience by digging deeper into their issues. So thank you from everyone in the, the human race, honestly, it's a huge thing what you're doing. So thank you for that. Thank you. That's a very high praise. Um, I always feel that I'm just one person trying to make the world a better place. But that one person who is extremely educated, who has gone down a particular path. And as you said, from a very cushy space, which is what any physician that's gone through that much schooling, they're kind of ready for that like little spot. And they're just going to kind of nest, you know, nestle in and, and do what they are supposed to do. Um, but that wasn't good enough for you. It sounds like you wanted even more. So it's, that's a huge, huge piece. So thank you for that. I do have a ton of questions now. Sure. I hope you yeah. don't mind. No, go ahead. Okay, great. We might go off script a little here in the first half, but um, it's so beautiful that you said the wounded healer heals themselves and then they can heal others. I love this concept. A lot of holistic health practitioners or healers we've had on the program, I don't know if they've gone um, to speak to that as strongly. And I'd like to just, if it's not too personal, I'd love to know what that means to you? So for me, I considered myself a wounded healer because when you work in a healthcare system, if there's any listeners listening who are physicians or nurses or respiratory therapists, anyone who works in the system understands that it's incredibly broken from the inside and the outside. It's not good for patients. It's not good for doctors or anyone working in the system. And what I felt really wounded me was there was intense pressure from my employer to prescribe medications, to see as many patients as possible. I was seeing patients every 15 minutes um, and sometimes they would double book me. And so coming, walking into a room, I had seven minutes to you know, know what the issue was immediately and then put a band-aid to the problem because I just didn't have time to sit there and talk about foods to avoid to prevent reflux. I didn't have time to talk about changing in your life so you can be better so you don't have to be reliant on medications. Instead of sitting, being able to sit down and talk to someone about here are the foods to avoid so you don't have reflux anymore, I just had to say, okay, these are your symptoms. Here's some omeprazole, take it every single day. And I just felt that it was grossly unjust to my patients. And every single day that I went to work and I had to do, do my job to keep my job, I had to do things that went against my values as a physician. And that was deeply painful and hurtful. And when I'd go to the hospital to do call during COVID, it was the same exact thing. I never had a chance to really get to know my patients really well. And that's what I really enjoyed. It was very much 
you know, the, the hospital administration and healthcare system takes this really sacred profession of being a doctor who, where we take this oath of doing no harm and they turn us into a capitalistic unit where it's how many patients can you see so we can bill insurance for higher amounts of money. When you work in a system like that, it's, I would almost like compare it to being in the military where you grow up learning a set of values that is so integral to who you are. And then you go into war and you have to do really terrible things because your job demands that of you. And whenever you do things that are against your morals, your values as a person, I think you take on moral injuries that you can't recover from unless you leave the system that is abusing you. Much like people who are in relationships with abusive people, abusive employment situations, you can't heal yourself until you stand up for yourself and realize that you have power to say, this is not for me. It's actually detrimental to my health. I need to walk away. And so that's my personal experience with being wounded on the job, working in the healthcare system that, in my opinion, did not have the patient's best interest at heart. Now you are in private practice, thank goodness, and, and you're so busy that, um, yeah, you're just doing a great job in your community. And we really appreciate that. Was there a moment, and this may be too personal to share, but was there a moment that was the hard line in the sand, that moment you remembered things have to change? Yes. Um, there was a moment where I worked in my hospital system and there was a shortage of N95s and I was in the ICU and Uh, I was like, you know, I I need another N95 and either the nursing supervisor or said, oh, we don't have any more. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And they're like, well, we don't have any more. And I was like, well, how am I supposed to go into this COVID room? And that, that, and then, you know, she said, just wear a surgical mask. And at that point I was like, these people do not care about my health. So I, that moment, I basically left the hospital, went to my supervisor, turned in my re- letter of resignation effective immediately. Oh my gosh. I bet yeah. that, was, that was difficult. Logically, it was probably difficult, but then emotionally, energetically, it was like, no, it's right here in front of me. I have to go. Yeah. Like, emotionally it was really hard because you know when you when you quit a job when you if you apply to a different hospital system they're gonna want to talk to your old hospital system like what happened so there was a sense of like am I abandoning my patients um but I always use this analogy because I think it's very true is you know, if the plane is going down and the oxygen mask comes, I need to put my oxygen mask on first before I can take care of my patients. And to date, we've had hundreds of healthcare workers die from COVID. And I personally witnessed one of my patients, uh, he was 33 years old and he died from COVID. I am not that much younger than that. And it, 
I had to put my health first and my life first because I knew that my job on this earth was not locked into this hospital system. Um, and I really had to ask myself some hard questions of, you know, who am I loyal to? And, and I promise the hospital was not loyal to me. Um, I had to attach myself to, I had to be loyal to my values, my mission, what I wanted to do with my life, because any sort of hospital system, they will replace you very quickly if you step out of line. Um, so to me, the only thing that made sense was to go into private practice. So I couldn't be bullied. Um, so I wouldn't have anyone dictating my medical decisions and ultimately treat my patients the way I would want my dad or my mom or my sister to get the healthcare that they deserve. Not so much that, you know, in the hospital, I spent at maximum maybe 10, 15 minutes with a patient. 15 minutes would be considered too much. I would be yelled at if I spent longer than that. So it was energetically, I just didn't think that uh, the healthcare system was really serving people. I really resonate with what you're saying about spending more time with a patient um, or a client or someone who comes in for information on nutritional value. I mean, our MD appointments, private practice are typically an hour to an hour and a half sometimes plus, you know, um, your lab work. And then on top of that follow-up. So I totally understand that. And I'm, I'm so grateful that you're able to do that now with ease. Um, it's really wonderful because, you know, whenever I was working like in conventional, like employed, people would come to discuss their labs and I didn't have enough time. So I'd be like, yeah, everything looks good. That's great. I'll see you next time. But now whenever they come in and they like we're discussing labs, I kind of take them to like a mini med school class of like, uh, oh, like, TSH, this is what this means for the thyroid. This is what's happening. And oh, hemoglobin A1C, this is what it actually means. And how do you prevent this? And we have, you know, I can spend as much time with them to have them really understand diabetes, you know, like why do I have it? What kind of foods to avoid? And I couldn't do that in my regular practice. Uh, what I would be able to do in my regular practices. Like you have diabetes, I'm gonna send you a diabetes education. I'm gonna uh, refer you to ophthalmology. I'm gonna refer you to uh, nephrology. I'm going to like start you on metformin. We're gonna check back every three months. And so there was a lot of patients who we labeled as non-compliant, but really they just didn't understand their disease process. And so I love the fact that I get to spend time, talk to my patients about the kind of foods that they put in their body, how it's affecting them, like why high blood pressure is bad and why it needs to be controlled, even if they feel asymptomatic from it. So I love the fact that I get to spend time with them and talk to them and not treat them like just like a cattle number on a conveyor belt, you know? Yes. And we need more uh, physicians like you always say, shop around for your physician. It's okay to fire your physician, which is coming out of my mouth, not yours, but for our listeners, it is okay because you will find 
an MD like myself or an MD um, like Dr. Wynn. So it happens to be that time in our podcast, we're going to take a short break and give a shout out to a local aligned business that I love so very much. And I think that you will too. When we come back, we'll be talking with Dr. Wynn more about her mushroom experiences, psychedelic um, suggestions and anything she'll tell us about. Sure. Yeah. Sounds great. You are listening to the Quantum Alignment Podcast with Dr. Pepper Hernandez on KZZHLP 96.7, community radio from Access Humboldt. We hope this information helps you on your path of holistic health and wellness. For a complete list of past guests and episodes, go to quantumalignmentpodcast.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Let me reintroduce you to our guest today, Dr. Mary Wynn. Adore her. She is here with so much knowledge. Thank you again, Mary, for being here. I appreciate you. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been fun. It's going to get even more fun for us as listeners to hear what or how you answer some of these upcoming questions. And I just kind of thought that if you were comfortable, and again, I continue to to frame these questions as if you were comfortable, because if you are not, just say you're not, and we don't, we can move forward. They're like, you know, like if you don't like a question, you just say pass, and I'm okay with that. So- I'd like to get a little geeky Mm -hmm. and ask you some questions about psilocybin, how you're using it with your personal self, how you're using it in your practice. And then I have other questions besides that, but can we start there? Yeah. So the way I use it for myself is I actually um, like, eat the mushroom as is. Um, some, some people want to grind it down and make tea and other people have various different ways, but I just eat the mushroom itself and I, I weigh them in terms of grams. Um, and there's several different scales uh, on the internet in terms of how intense you want your trip to be. Um, so a, a good, you know, I would consider a dose. And I don't recommend, you know, everyone is very different, very sensitive. Um, for me, my sweet spot dose is around three to four grams. Um, and that's, and I use it more in a therapeutic sense, less as a, a, I think there's a space in terms of you can have a lot of fun, but I use it in terms of, uh, an adjunct to my meditation practice. And that's whenever I go into it with intention of, what would I like to have out of this experience? And there's really no expectation that I go into it with. I go into it um, in terms of almost like a ceremonial sacred space of 
Um, these are the things that I'm struggling with. Um, and hopefully the, the psilocybin, uh, the mushrooms will unlock areas of my brain that have the answer that I'm not consciously aware of that it's going to bring into my consciousness. And I, and once it's in my consciousness, I can name it, I can label it, then I can address it. So that's for me, how I go into my own, um, healing in terms of my patients because of like the legalities for my patients who are interested in this. And one of the, my rules is I never bring it up to my patients ever. They have to bring it up to me. And if I think that they're a good candidate, then I switch it over and it's like, okay, you are no longer going to be my patient. If we're going to do this, you're going to be my client and I have a separate coaching entity and I'm going to have you sign a piece of paper that says you are, I'm not your physician while this is happening. I am your coach and any sort of medication that you take, I have no control over. So they have provide their own mushrooms. They take them and then they book a whole day retreat with me and we sit and we talk about all of their anything that they want to talk about but if they're going into this as a therapeutic um relationship then it it's i'm not so much medicating them i have to get to know them for at minimum three months i identify i identify the things that they struggle with have to get to know them very very well before they even qualify for a retreat with me so after they qualify for a retreat then i feel like i have a very good sense of who they are you know what they're struggling with as well as it's very important that they trust me fully because psilocybin is a very strong powerful medication or medicine and so people with, I, first off, I go through a screening process. Um, people who are not candidates are basically anyone with a psychotic disorder. Um, and for the listeners, psychosis is essentially when you have a complete break from reality and you're not able to come back. Um, so anyone with a history of a, a psychotic disorder, um, that completely rules them out. If they have a cardiac history, that also rules them out because psilocybin um, gets broken down in the body into psilocin. So psilocin is the actually active ingredient that binds onto the 5-HT2A receptors. And we have those in the heart. We have those um, in the body. And so my whole thing is if you have already have a cardiac history, I don't want to stress your heart even further. So I do a medical screening to make sure that they're a good candidate for it. But in terms of everything else, if they have um, uh, depression, anxiety, PTSD, things that have been researched in the literature, and I find that they're a good candidate, then we can start to talk about how to rewire your brain um, to come from a healthier place. So my my clients don't have to suffer as much from intrusive thoughts, thought distortions. Um, and I work, I work them like from the space of cognitive behavioral therapy, but then also a little bit of some people just need to have spell space be held for them so they can process and let someone know the pain that they are going through to be 
witnessed and understood and accepted. A lot of people don't have that in their lives. Um, and we see this whenever people go through a lot of stressors that it's, it's hard. And sometimes their physician or is the only person in their life that can provide any sort of healing. So it's very tailored. It's a very personalized approach to heal my patients. Um, and that's the process that I go through to protect myself legally. Um, but at the same time, because I have a, such a deep connection with my patients, um, I don't feel that there is any sort of miscommunication that would lead to any sort of uh, legal issues. But then I also have malpractice insurance and coaching insurance um, to completely protect myself as well. So smart, such good information. I love that. Thank you. Um, I'm going to step back for a moment and talk about you, your personal usage and then we can come back to patients because I find both of these extremely fascinating. So with your personal usage, you were talking about a therapy dose being between three and four grams. Is there also a lesser dosage of maintenance? And, you know, obviously any more than four or five, depending on a person's body weight and their digestive system would be the recreational dosage. And so I just want to be very clear with wanting to ask you about maybe maintenance and therapy dosages for someone like yourself that you're doing personally. And how many times a week are you doing them? Sure. So there's like two trains of thoughts. One, um, one believes that microdosing is the answer. And there's another train of thought that uh, is macrodosing. So microdosing is anywhere between like 0.1 to 0.3 milligrams, like grams um, of the actual mushroom itself. And some people say they take that, you know, every other day and it helps them. Uh, my issue with that is psilocybin and psilocin, your body grows a tolerance to it. Um, and it stops to be, it stops becoming psychoactive once your body has a tolerance to it. So, and so over time, it's a medical term called tachyphylaxis. Uh, and so I think there's a space for the microdosing as in for me, whenever I was personally getting off of antidepressants, like I really needed um, everyday dosing and I spread it out slowly and that really helped me. But in terms of having it uh, every day um, and, the, and the theory behind that is the dosage is so small that you really can't tell you're not experiencing any um, synesthesia, which is like you're seeing you're seeing sounds, you're smelling colors, things like that. So I think there's a place for it. For me, I think um, that the macro dosing is whenever you start to get into one gram, two gram, three gram, four grams, those, that is my jam. That's where I find the most use. Um, and it, and whenever I take it, I take the whole mushroom. Um, the half-life of psilocybin is three hours. So it lasts in your system approximately six to seven hours. But research has shown that even after the medicine is out of your system, like you still have the like 
the benefits that you've gained on this trip that carries with you throughout, you know, the, the duration of your life. Um, so what we know in terms of neuroplasticity is I would describe it as like, you know, imagine that your brain is like just a, over, like just a jungle. And whenever you take psilocybin and you start to see paths that have been walked many times, and those are your thoughts. Those are the negative thoughts that you've walked many times, but on psilocybin under the right facilitate, facilitator or guidance, you can rewrite that in terms of forming new pathways, more positive thoughts, and making sure that those connections are growing and becoming stronger. Now, there's only several substances that have been shown for um, neuronal uh, genesis. So psilocybin is actually promoting brain cell growth. That's like in itself, a miracle drug. We don't know anything like in Western medicine that promotes like nerve growth. Essentially, that's why you hear people when they have a spinal cord injury, doctors are like, I'm sorry, we can't do anything. Like, you know, it's, it's up to your higher power now. But psilocybin is one of the, like one of the only ingredients or I guess substance that I know that actually promotes cell, cell growth in your brain. That in itself is like, like amazing. So um, that's for my journey. That's kind of what I believe is the most beneficial is kind of the bigger doses. And I actually don't um, do it quite often because sometimes it can be a little much. I, be I personally believe that everyone in their life has experienced trauma. I think life is a very traumatic process. Um, people have losses, uh, stressors in terms of jobs, relationships, the way they were brought up, intergenerational trauma that gets passed down. So I think that if you do it too often, then it can be a lot to process and it can actually destabilize you if you're not in a very good place to begin with. So for me, at most, I do it once a month. Um, but it's, it's very intuitive for me. If I feel the need to explore some self-limiting belief or some symptom that I'm having or some struggle, then I will have a session if things are very tangled up inside and I can't uh, access it through conventional means. It's almost like a last resort medicine for me. Um, it's not something like, oh, I have a tiny problem in my life. Let me do some shrooms and all will be well. I try literally everything else, yoga, meditation, mindfulness, therapy, talking it out with my friends, journaling, all of those things. And if I, if I can't find a solution, then I will seek, you know, my inner wisdom, um, and using psilocybin to access that. So I would say, uh, on average, maybe once every three months or so. Yeah. Uh, that's going to range, uh, but that's for your personal usage and that's how you're using it. So I appreciate that. And you're using a raw form and just eating the mushrooms. So good for you. Yeah. <laughs> there are a lot of ways people can get it into their body. Um, honey is a nice way that a lot of people use palatable wise and 
teas and, and different things like that. I want to get more on that side of it for just a moment. And for clients who are coming to you as a coach now, we're jumping over from you, the MD using it personally, but over to the coach aspect. What does that look like? Number one, what is, you kind of said the things that were a perfect candidate, but really what is the perfect person coming to you? And then number two, what does a retreat look like? Can can you walk us through a day of that retreat? Sure. A perfect client is basically someone who is not actively suicidal, doesn't have any psychotic disorders, doesn't have um, something, a condition or a diagnosis that I feel uncomfortable treating, as in if they have bipolar type one and they're in a manic episode, um, giving them psilocybin is going to worsen it. Um, Psilocybin, it makes your brain even more psychoactive. So in a way, sometimes I've seen it can throw patients into a hypomanic episode. If So if they already have a predisposition to it, then that totally takes it off the table. And I tell them, you know, whenever they are my patient, I tell them, you're not a candidate for this. I'm sorry. Um, and they are very accepting of that. Um, but for everyone else, as long as they don't have any uh, mental disorder such that's what I consider pretty severe, like schizophrenia um, or, you know, bipolar type one, which is like the manic phase where people are speaking so pressured that you can't even understand them. Like they're not going to be able to benefit. Um, Obviously people who are nonverbal or lack um, a certain cognitive uh, function then they're not going to be self-actualizing if they're having trouble understanding like just basic uh, communication. So those those people are just not candidates. That doesn't mean that they don't deserve help. I just don't think psilocybin is the best medicine for them. Um, And then for a retreat, what that looks like is after I get to know them for, you know, anywhere from between three to six months and you know, it's a joint decision that we make, as in, I have to feel like they're ready, they have to feel like they're ready, we come to a conclusion of like, okay, we both feel very comfortable with this. Now let's go to um, the next phase. So a retreat, um, it happens on a private property. And so they come in the morning, everything is essentially laid out, personalized for them. Um, I asked them to do pre like homework to bring to the retreat, like what, you know, it's a questionnaire. It's about 20, 20 questions. Like, what would you like to get out of this? Um, h- how would you like to see your behaviors change? What state do you want to get back to? So a lot of self-exploration questions that they need to answer beforehand. And then a court, and then during that phase, In the morning, we talk about, you know, expectations, as in there's no guarantee that you're going to be fixed or you're going to have a good result. Like this is still experimental. You came to me because you've essentially been turned away from every single doctor that's uh, wanted to help you from depression and, and, and it's failed you. So this is, 
maybe not a last ditch attempt, but you know, I, I take on pretty sick patients that have been trying to get help for many, many years and they're, they're not able to get help. So I talk to them about expectations and, you know, a lot of times patients like, well, what are we supposed to talk about? And I'm like, you know, whatever comes up for you. And I promise you what something will come up. That's what we'll talk about. Um, when you put too many, you know, structure, like, you know, this hour to this hour, we're going to talk about your childhood trauma, this hour to this hour, we're going to talk about your, you know, adult trauma, like, that's not really the way to go about it. Um, you know, you just at first, so it's the first like hour that we talk about expectations. I ask them, do they feel comfortable? Um, how do they feel about going out into nature? Uh, because it's a private property, so there's no one around. So I just eliminate all sorts of like roots of paranoid thoughts, which can happen. Um, so I want to make sure that it's a great experience in terms of they feel safe, not only physically, but emotionally to really open up to another human being and show people or show someone the things that they've had to struggle with in their life. I've had patients tell me things that they've never told another single soul, including their spouses, because it's been so painful. And, you know, so the whole day essentially is there's one hour and then the entire day is up to the patient. Um, there, there's a, I approach it in terms of like a multimedia thing because some patients find it hard to tell their deepest, darkest pain looking you in the eye. So there's, there's like a media um, in terms of like the enjoyment of uh, colors and visuals. There's music um, that I incorporate from the Johns Hopkins website that they use during their research. Um, then there are different kinds of food that I lay out that they've already told me beforehand that they would like to experience, whether it's like taste, texture, really using your five senses to enjoy. Because yes, we're going to, into it in a therapeutic space, but there is also room for fun. There's also room for play. So that is something that uh, is entirely up to the client. Um, I've had really interesting experiences. Uh, some clients have incredible like hallucinations um you know where they're saying like oh like at one point you turned into a cat and then you turned into a native american warrior and uh you know and then like their minds would take them to incredible places of like you know i i had a a memory of of whenever i was in my past life, um, I, I was this, and they have this whole story and it's like, wow, this is amazing. I, I don't know any, you know, any validity to it, but the, I think the mind is amazing. And I've also had patients who relived some of their trauma whenever they were in Iraq and they were able to tell me about all of the terrible things that they saw and had to do. And, uh, really just have another human being there. And I've had grown men sit and spend hours crying um, and telling me about uh, be, having sexual trauma as a child um, and 
feeling that they've never been able to talk about that to anyone due to our society of expectations of men and how they can express themselves. So it's really, really deeply rewarding to be invited into someone's inner world on such a personal level and then being able to hold space for them to tell me about the things that have hurt them and how it's affected them. And and then I spend very little time talking actually. I spend more time asking them questions and every so often I will interject with, you know, is it possible to view it in this way? And, you know, they'll think and say, you know, I, that's a really great way. I've never thought about it that way. And so during those moments, those are the key things that are helping them integrate their pain and being able to realize that although you went through this and it's unfair, you don't have to be defined by it and you don't have to repeat the behaviors to gain love, acceptance, whatever, that you can say, I had this experience and I'm choosing now to not respond in a trauma response way and live my life in a way that is more healthy and conducive and aligned with my values as a person. And most of my patients, actually, I want to say all, um, have gotten positive experiences from this. I've never had a patient that said, this was awful. I never want to do this again. This is terrible. I've all of my, all of my patients or clients um, have said this was a life changer for them. It changed their life. It changed the way they viewed the world, the way they viewed themselves and their role in their own healing. And what I found out is, you know, I, I don't think a lot of patients or clients are very empowered. I think growing up, there was somewhere along the way, they learned that doctors had all of the answers and that they need to be reliant on a higher authority to tell them how to fix their life. And what I essentially do is I say, no, you know, the original meaning for doctor is teacher. I'm not here to tell you how to live your life or if it's wrong or right. I'm here to teach you in ways that you want to be taught. Um, and there's, I, I forget who, who, which, you know, genius said this, but it's when the student is ready, the teacher arrives. And when the teacher is ready, the student arrives. So the people that I attract are already pre-selected to want to help. And I'm not just going around trying to ask all of these people if they need help. It's like, if you need help, you're going to find a way to help yourself. And I just kind of talk to them in a very humanistic way of, you have all the power inside of you to heal yourself. And you just haven't had anyone telling you that you had this in you, but you do. And I can't tell you how many people I've said this to, and they're just flabbergasted and completely shocked um, where I can say you have permit. I literally said you have permission to cry. You have permission to heal yourself. And they weren't able to do this before. And I mean, some of my clients would tell me, you know, it's so silly that another person has to give me permission to cry. And I'm like, well, you know, it makes sense if you've been growing up your whole life telling and having everyone that's important to you, the way you learn 
tell you that you always have to have a higher a power, a higher authority to tell you how to live your life. And it makes sense. You know, we go throughout school, we have teachers, we go through college, we have teachers. You know, if we have higher education, we always have someone to tell us and grade us on a metric. But, you know, I think there's something very powerful about passing on the sacred wisdom that you know what you need, hands down. You yourself know what you need. You just need to listen to that inner voice, that inner child. Dr. Wynn, you have dropped so much knowledge on us. I just want to tell you how much I admire your strength, what you're doing for your community, and how you're holding space for humans in general. I think that you are an amazing healer. You're a psilocybin shaman, if you will. (laughs) You really are bringing that medicine to those people who need it in such a gentle, kind, loving, energetic way. And I know you can't help every person through a psilocybin experience, but man, wouldn't it be cool if you were there for everyone? So those people that you do have are just brilliantly lucky. And I just want to thank you for coming on today. I'm certain uh, that I would like to keep in contact with you. I think that we have a lot more to talk about. I have so many more questions. I'm um, very eager to check with you after the show, but I just wanted to thank you for your time as I know you are extremely busy. Yeah, of of course. Um, I mean, I personally think it's very important that as many people as possible have all of the knowledge available to them to find ways to heal themselves. And if I can be a drop in whatever knowledge pool and in helping others, that's already made a big difference. You know, yes, like, yes, I'm busy. Yes, you're busy. But the whole reason why I think this podcast exists is to give people information and a lot of times I think, I mean, I don't want to say it's a conspiracy theory, but I think there's so many barriers to good information. Like, you know, to even see a physician, you have to, you know, make sure you have the right insurance. You have to make an appointment. You have to make sure the labs are covered. All of these things, you have to jump through so many hoops just to see a physician that it's like, why, you know, just this is free information and all you need to do is have a person that kind of helps you interpret them in the correct way. That's all it is. Um, And if I can just make that easier for people because I went to medical school um, and not have them, you know, pay six figures to go to medical school to understand this just so they can take charge of their health. Like, you know, I'm all for it. I want to help as many people as possible with the um, tools that, I have, and hopefully it can reach, you know, whoever it needs to reach. So maybe it'll, it'll reach someone that uh, has never thought about this before and will spark their interest and, and, and spark their curiosity to learn more about this medicine. That happens with you every single day. I'm absolutely certain of it. So thank you for bringing a voice to what you do. I appreciate that. Um, For the listeners, before we leave you, I would like to know, is there a certain 
research website that you would like to give out because not everyone can come to you, but maybe there is something that they can read about. Yeah. So um, Johns Hopkins University started doing psychedelic research in the early 2000s. So if you Google um, Johns Hopkins psychedelic, then a website will come up. It's called hopkinspsychedelic.org. And they can go to that website and essentially read every single paper that's been published. Um, And there's little icons whenever you explore whatever you suffer from, either that's PTSD, medication-resistant depression, anxiety, Alzheimer's. Like there's an array of mental disorders and neuropsychiatric disorders that are being researched currently right now. And the results are amazing. Um, and it's also very interesting um, reading uh, the, not only the results, but kind of like the premise, the, ne- the neurobiology. Um, that's, that's what I did my undergrad in is like neurobiology with uh, an emphasis of addiction um, researching. And so that's, that's, that's my jam um, is understanding uh, how, how that all plays in on the human psyche. Um, so yeah, the Johns Hopkins uh, Psychedelic Center, um, or they can also Google MAPS, uh, the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies. Uh, they have really great information too, but if you want to learn about the literature, then Hopkins is the premier um, the website that you, that you want to go into. Great. Thank you so much. Um, Dr. Wynn, thank you again for taking time to be on the show today, encouraging everyone to get one step closer to their highest aligned self, the mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional bodies, and your enthusiasm for your work has really been brought to life in this podcast. So I appreciate you. To our audience, thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Dr. Pepper Hernandez. Thank you for listening. And let's make this your very best life ever.